from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where we do all we can to try to help people come to the love of Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Let's begin with a short prayer. I certainly need it. Lord, we pray your spirit will be with us, be with Seth and Wendy, and uh, as we try to get this uh, show off the, off the ground, and we uh, pray that your spirit will guide us and uh, help people to discern the truth wherever it can be found, and uh, forgive us for our shortcomings, in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, last week we left off covering Pastor Jason Wallace of Magna's uh, Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and he created a 40-minute video uh, about yours truly and uh, our trying to follow the faith in the way that we see fit through the Bible. And uh, we're gonna pick his video back up. We're taking it, comp we're not editing any of it out. We're taking it completely through and we're addressing things as it goes. Some clips are shorter than others. Some responses are uh, shorter or longer than others. But uh, let's pick it up right now and see what he says next. After nearly 2000 years, Sean is supposed to finally be restoring real Christianity. Okay, so he starts off this segment again and he's comparing me with Joseph Smith by saying after nearly 2000 years, Sean is supposed to be finally restoring real Christianity. And again, it's just not the case. We addressed this last week. I'm not restoring anything. And real Christianity has always existed. It's never left the earth. There's always been believers. And uh, But Jason keeps playing this note, and he does it throughout this thing, likening me to Smith, uh, because that's his idea of what I'm trying to do, be another Joseph Smith or something like that. It's just not so. And I have to make this clear. I do not pretend to receive revelations. You know, those people who get their imaginations go wild. I don't receive revelations for people, other people, for scripture or write new scripture. I don't create new dogma or impose rules. And so I resent this implication that my brother Jason is, is putting toward me. I do, because it's just not factual. That's not what I'm about. And anybody who attends campus or knows me, I'm not receiving, thus saith the Lord, revelations for anybody else uh, but myself. And I don't receive revelations for myself uh, like very often. I believe I talk to God and he talks to me, but I think everybody should believe that. We're going to talk about that next week. Uh, Jason can disagree with me doctrinally, uh, our approach to the faith, but it's these subtle, constant inferences that I'm really standing against and some other things we're trying to clear, clear up. It's not fair. Then he says, unlike Smith's version of everything, Sean's version is everything is individualistic and subjective and our only accountability is to God. That's a quote from Jason. And um, in this, Jason is absolutely correct. Not because I say it, because God says it. And think about this. Isn't your relationship, um, sorry, isn't your relationship subjective with God? I mean, don't you belong to a church where some things you'll hear and you say, I really don't think that, you'll just keep it to yourself? Uh, I think that we all walk, believe, seek uh, God subjectively, and we will meet him on our own terms, no matter what anyway. So don't we all independently choose to believe what we choose to believe in the end anyway? 
uh, my brother Jason, he, he tends to think that there is this overabiding faith that everyone embraces completely. And I just don't think that's true when, when we get down to it. So what is Jason suggesting here? He is suggesting that, he's suggesting what all religionists suggest, that you are to be under their authority, the authority of men. Uh, you're to be under their ideas and their opinions and their interpretations. Why would this be the case when they really have no authority? If you examine authority, they don't have any. And their opinions are no better than yours. You go home and you read the Bible, and I read the Bible, and they read the Bible, and you have the Spirit, and they have the Spirit, and I have the Spirit, and we're at different levels of maturity, and we come to our own ideas of things. Let's just admit that and let there be a live and let live when it comes to doctrine, okay? So Jason says it's funny that I taught this uh, before becoming a hyperpreterist, as he puts it. And um, it, I, it may be funny to him, but it is true. I have always taught this, that the faith is, is subjective. Go back to our earliest uh, videos, even when I was talking to Mormons way back, I've always taught that it's between you and God and not to let any man insert themselves between that relationship. Uh, so at this point, he plays several minutes of content from our archives, and I don't uh, disagree with anything that he has me say. Unlike Smith's version, everything is individualistic and subjective, and our only accountability is to God. The funny thing is that this new ethic fits perfectly with what Sean was teaching long before he embraced hyperpreterism. And that leads me to the final criticism, which has been tossed at me this week. And it's a favorite from the minds of, of weak men. It's built on the idiocy of there being safety in numbers and that popular opinion rules and that individu individuals in the Christian church must be governed by other men. What am I talking about? It's this constant uh, cacophonous, uh, Din bemoaning the fact that Sean McCraney is not accountable to anybody. <laughs> Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing. I am completely accountable to God. Uh, but that doesn't seem to be enough in this day and age of Christianese. Uh, not for controlling fearful men. They are of the opinion that I need to answer to a human committee or a board of elders or a congregation so that we can take theological premises, premisi, and have them decide on what should be taught and what shouldn't. When he became the king of my life, uh, it made me more resistant to men and their fearful, controlling, religious, fleshly ways. So this drives petty, fearful people stark, raving mad. What makes it most frustrating is they actually think that it is a sign of holiness to go before a panel of men and say, what think ye that I should say or do? The word accountability is not even in the Bible, not in the Greek at all, the New Testament. It's a man-made corporate construct, and when taken seriously, it produces things like cheese spread, elevator music, strip malls, and the Trinity.
Okay, so that was a longer uh, segment. In, in this age where God writes upon our hearts and our minds of individuals, which we keep repeating, Jason wants people not to live by the Spirit and the faith they have in God and Christ and that connection directly. He wants there to be more. He wants institutionalized religion, uh, specifically, I guess, his, uh, Orthodox Presbyterianism, to reign over people's lives. And he justifies this and this authority that he doesn't have by reading what they did in the apostolic church in the New Testament. Jason wants to exercise a non-existent authority. Uh, he wants to get people to pay money so that he can uh, help his family uh, eat and live. And he wants to reign in his views over people. This is the correct doctrine. We have decided that. You must believe it. We are the authority, okay? That is what he is fighting for, essentially. And I am fighting for an absolutely different approach. Now, in the very next segment, you're going to see why uh, this is dangerous. And it's really, really important to hang with me on this because it's going to show you why even someone as schooled and, and pious and good as a dad and father and pastor as Jason is, you're going to see why you don't have to listen to what they say. Okay, let's run it, Seth. Sean makes many claims about the Bible that simply aren't true. Hebrews 13 not only makes elders accountable to God, but it also requires the church to submit to them. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. Okay, first of all, I got to know where they get that guy who reads that. <laughs> if, if that's Jason, I'm going to say, you should have been an actor, because that is fine Shakespearean uh, articulation. But uh, it does make it seem more holy, I have to admit, when you hear scripture read like that. But I want you to notice something. Jason had that scripture read and presented, and it was in response to me saying at the end of the previous uh, clip, the word accountability is not even in the Bible, not in the Greek, not in the New Testament. That's what, my, that's what I said, okay? And then Jason, the MDiv, the pastor of an Orthodox Presbyterian church, a man who, like other religious men, believes that he has the power to interpret Scripture better than me or others, uh, he throws up a, a Scripture, and he says, this shows, and what he says is, Sean makes many claims about the Bible that simply aren't true. So he's, what he's saying there is that when I said the word accountability is not even in the Bible, not in the Greek, in the New Testament, that's the quote I said. The next thing that Jason says is, Sean makes many claims about the Bible that simply aren't true. And as a means to prove it, he shows Hebrews 13 where the word account is there, okay? 
This is Jason's opportunity to show anyone who watches the video, everyone who comes to campus, that I really am wrong in my assessment of the Bible, that I do make many claims that are simply not true about the Bible. It's his chance. He has, he has thousands of hours he can pull from. It's his chance to do it. And what does he do? He says, I'm going to take Sean to task on this. He said the word accountability is not even in the Bible, not in the Greek in the New Testament. That is what I said. And then he shows Hebrews 13 to show that the word account is there. Um, for starters, I didn't say that there wasn't apostolic demands in the early church for people to be accountable to elders. I didn't say that. And uh, that's how the early church, the early bride was monitored by the apostles, living apostles over them to get the bride ready to be taken. So that was never my claim. But Christians today have no right to take those passages from the New Testament and assign them to brick and mortar church and authority to themselves. They don't have a right to do it. Um, we pointed last, out last week and we're going to continue to point out that's done. It's over. So what I said was true. The word accountability is not in the New Testament at all in the Greek in the New Testament. That's what I said. So what is the Greek term that's translated in Hebrews 13 that Jason used to show I teach many things that are simply not true in the Bible? What's the Greek term? Is it, is it accountability? What, is it a word in Greek that means accountability? It's not. That's why I said, quote again, the word accountability is not in the New Testament at all in the Greek, in the New Testament. That's why I added in the Greek, because the word translated to account in the New Testament, like in Hebrews 13 that Jason used, is logos. It's logos. Do you know that that's the same word that John used that says in the beginning was the word? That's logos. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. That's logos in both of those uh, cases. And the passage that says that the elders are to give account in the Greek, that's translated by uh, King James translators account, is logos. It's not accountability in the Greek language. So I, he had an opportunity to pull out something I've said and prove me wrong. And he failed to do it in his own video. And this is why we don't need pastors saying, I can interpret better than you. It's a living example. Because Jason, he's a man. I'm a man. Now, it's not that I'm never wrong. I'm wrong sometimes. And sometimes I, some of the things I say about the Bible are simply wrong. But guess what? Sometimes some of the things Jason says are simply wrong. Some of the things every pastor says, John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul, is simply wrong. You see, that's why God set up a church that is governed by the spirit where individuals in him have the relationship and we're not under the false authority of men because men are wrong, right? Okay, let's go up to what Jason says next at 626. Former Mormons have been burned by those who demand obedience to man-made rules. Sean tries to convince them that even faithful elders are abusive 
when they call them to obey biblical commands. Okay. Um, why do I have to admit, I, I do maintain that. He's right on that. I do think that there is nobody in a church who has the elders who have the right to go up to somebody and say, uh, I'm calling you out on this. This is the biblical way you need to understand this. I do not believe that is part of the church today. Firstly, you know this, the age is complete. God described it. He will write his laws upon the hearts and minds of individuals. And no man will tell his neighbor, know the Lord, know the Lord, for all will know me. You got that? That's what God said he would do in our age. And so if God is doing that to individuals, I don't need to sit up here on the stand and look at someone and find out that they got drunk last night and walk down after the service and take them aside and say, as an elder in the church, I want to warn you, brother, drunkenness is a sin and you will not be part of us if you continue that practice. I don't need to do that because God has written his laws on that man or woman's heart and he is working with them. And if they got drunk and it's against, God doesn't want us to get drunk and in his heart, that's what God tells him. God will work that out. So we don't need this false organization of men doing it. Why? Because any man, any man or woman who steps down from a pulpit and goes out to the crowd and corrects another person is guilty of hypocrisy because that man and that woman have sin in their life too, you see. And, 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 and Jason has sin in his life. I don't know what it is. It might be something as, as uh, simple as envy. It might be something as egregious as lust and pornography. I don't think it is, but he has sin in his life. And he has to take the moat out of his eye before he gets to say, and the moats never leave men and women's eyes and lives. So we're done with that because God has implored, employed his spirit to work with individuals who have come to him by faith. So anytime an elder or deacon or pastor tries to correct another person, it is a form of unauthorized ecclesiastical abuse. Not only because they're doing something that's hypocritical, they are doing something they have no authority to do. Just ask an evangelical pastor, where did you get your authority? And in the end, they're going to say, I get it from the word of God. Well, I read the word of God too. And so do our, our congregants. So do I have the authority? And then they'll come up with another way that they have authority. Well, I was called to do it, you know, and, and all these other things. But in the end, they don't have the authority that we're talking about that was present in biblical times. This being an age completely led of the spirit, an age where the individuals, you and me, are responsible for how we choose to live and believe. Why? Because elders and their interpretation of what a person should say and do and believe not only contradict each other, Jason's views will contradict Terry Long's views and Terry Long's views will contradict uh, Bill McKeever's views and Bill McKeever's views will contradict uh, the other guy's views or the other girl's views and on and on and on. That's why God put the spirit in charge of each individual and he writes his laws on them and we are responsible. So there's no this plain church that Jason and, and others have been trying to push forward. Um, I want you to hear this. Um, 
Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 3.3, For as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ administered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. That's Paul talking to believers then. And he's telling them, God has, you're, you're, you're our epistles, he says, not written in stone. He says, you living epistles where God has written on the fleshy tables of your hearts. You're the thing that people see and read and become converted by. You see, we didn't have a written Bible, a New Testament for a couple hundred years after Paul wrote that. Even he was preaching what I'm telling you right now. All right, remember, and I'm going to quote it really quickly, Hebrews 8.10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they will, shall be to me a people. And then he repeats it in chapter 10. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. These descriptions are about the real New Testament. That's what God calls his New Testament. When he writes on the laws of individuals, he writes his laws on the hearts and minds of individuals. That's his new covenant, his new testament. The new testament is not the thing written that's a book of laws that men have put together over the years. And I love that book and it contains the word of God, but that is not how we govern ourselves. That's why Paul wrote, he has made us able ministers of the new testament, not of the letter. He has made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The letter has always killed, you guys. And Jason is trying to make us believe that there is a system in place where the letters in a book are the thing that God has wanted to govern people's lives when God right there says through Paul, not of the letter, but of the spirit for the letter kills. You put up a sign anywhere in any church, I don't care what it says, do not look at mushrooms in the grocery store. That kills because a teenage boy is gonna go into that grocery store and stare at those mushrooms for a half an hour. The letter kills. The spirit gives life. So there's a war here between what I'm saying and what has been established because this, this old way that has been embraced and encouraged, one, has never worked, has been a disaster, and, and, and two, it's not biblical. And, and so Jason is a man promoting letters, and he means well. He studies the letters, and he knows what the letters say, and he holds like, like James White and like Jeff Durbin and like most Calvinists, they hold people to the letter of the law which kills, and it kills individuals' hearts. But the Spirit of God, whose fruit is love, that is what governs. So when I sit up on the podium and I look out and I know the, kid, the man drank and got drunk last night, I come down and I put my arm around him and say, you know what, I love you. I hope you're doing okay. If there's any way I can help, well, pastor, I got drunk last night, did you? Well, you know, I got drunk two weeks ago, so let's just keep moving forward, brother. We're struggling in this life, 
but I love you because it's the goodness of God that causes us to repent. It's the goodness of God. It's not the letter which kills. And that's really what we're warring at in this video is that Jason represents letters and letters written by men of traditions, letters in the apostolic record. And he takes those letters like most pastors and he uses it, but it's not of the letter, but of the spirit for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life, okay? So Jason and other brothers like him, the well-meaning, I know he's well-meaning and I know he's doing his best, uh, would have everyone believe that the New Testament, you know, from Matthew to Revelation is a manual of commands and elders and churches are to oversee that flock and get them to abide by what was written. And just the history of that, of that New Testament compilation that it wasn't available to the early church and wasn't really agreed upon for hundreds and hundreds of years and all these other things prove that God's spirit is the thing that reigns. Why did Paul write in Romans 8 too? For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Do you know what the law, of sin of, the law of sin and death is? The letters of the law. Why does he add in Romans 7, 6? But now we are delivered from the law, being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. The letters kill. Why do we read in Romans 14, 4? Who art thou that judges another man's servant? To his own master, that's Jesus Christ, he stands or falls. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. And then later he adds at verse 10, But why didst thou judge thy brother? And why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It is subjective. It is open. There is no judging of each other by the letter. There is the spirit and the fruit of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long suffering, patience, kindness, temperance. Against such there is no law. That is the, uh, the way that we see the faith today. And yet, I don't know, I, I don't know why I'm one of the, uh, you know, a couple thousand on earth who see this. And why the other millions of pastors continue to make that, that Bible the letter of the law when all it does is kill. And we have it right here in scripture. Brother Jason wants, like most pastors, to keep his sheep. It's about control. It is about control. Whether he means it to be or not, that's what it is. It's a very controlling um, thing that stands in opposition to the laws written on hearts. When elders, boards, and pastors are dictating what you believe, how you are to pay, where, how you are to live, and then to be disciplined by them if you don't comply, or to be ostracized, or to be seen as unworthy based on the letters, that is all about control. But what do we read? Romans 7, 5, for when we were in the flesh, meaning of religion and all that made up that former economy of fleshly religion in the Jews, the motions of sin, which were by the law, 
the motion of sin, which is by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. We have been killing people sitting in pews and in denominations for 2,000 years by, by giving them law written in ink and saying it's the letter, it's the letter, and it kills them. And they don't understand that the spirit and the love of God for embracing them as they are causes them to want to come back causes them to want to overcome their sin and failure, which has been paid for uh, past, present, and future by Jesus Christ. The spirit gives life, not the law, not the letter, not the flesh, not the flesh of men, not the flesh of men and women in governance over us. The spirit upon individuals and in individuals is how the, the New Testament is described by God. At this point, Jason now adds. His alternative is called campus. Christian anarchists meeting to prayerfully understand Scripture. This idea of anarchy, no rules and no accountability, may sound attractive, but it is completely alien to New Testament Christianity. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Jesus said that someone who will not hear the church is not to be considered a Christian. But Sean is proud of the fact that he has never been answerable to any Christian church. His hyperpreterism allows him to claim that all these requirements passed away in 70 AD. He says we now have a better, purely spiritual church. The apostolic church had rules to keep them together until the coming of Christ with the influx of Judaism trying to destroy them and all this other stuff, the apostles came in and said, these are the rules for our operation. Those rules, when we read them today, many of them are ridiculous. They don't apply. A woman should have her hair not plated or speak in the church or a, or a, a true widow has to wash the feet of the saints. All of this stuff doesn't apply to us. And if we can say those don't apply, who has the right to say these do and these don't? So we have to see it had a different purpose. So we do have a different, they're not, a, how can I say this? Because they don't all apply. So our rules are, these are our rules, which were different than the New Testament church. We walk by faith and we love. And the primary rule is to love. So Jason says, my alternative, uh, I would correct him and say that it is God's alternative is campus. And again, campus is not original. This has been going on for 2,000 years in true believers' hearts and lives. Uh, and then he reads what the acronym for campus st stood for originally. That's Christian anarchists meeting to prayerfully understand scripture. And I, I'm the one who called it that. And Jason goes on and he says, this is a quote. This idea of anarchy, no rules and no accountability might sound attractive, but it is completely alien to New Testament Christianity. Now, as this video progresses, my brother begins to lose what started out as a more objective approach to me. And as it goes on, he's going to degrade a, a little bit more and more into more attacks. And he's going to reinterpret a lot of things on his own accord 
that are incorrect. And so that's why we're doing this. I want to correct those things for the record. Whether people watch this or not is almost irrelevant to me. I want it for our record because we have a lot of things on record and I want it to be known that the things Jason is saying in many ways are incorrect. Um, anyone who attends campus, anyone who regularly attends will attest that I am not a proponent of anarchism or anarchy, okay? I do not preach a no accountability to government. I don't preach don't pay your taxes. I don't preach lawlessness, even though I break laws sometimes like traffic laws and things. This is Jason jumping on the name of our group and assigning it meaning without knowledge and, and with prejudice. It's really with absolute prejudice. He defines Christian anarchy as no rules and no accountability, and it's completely alien to the New Testament. Notice several things that Jason omitted to mention. First, our name is Christian Campus Anarchy. Christian Anarchy, okay? It's not just anarchy, it's Christian Anarchy. And uh, it's not secular anarchy, it's not anarcho-communism, it's Christian anarchists, and it refers to the Greek word, not the Latin word, but the Greek word arche, arche. We are Christian arche, anarchists. Now, an arche is the first thing of something. So the first thing of architecture is the study of forms, arche, texture, it, texture. It is the study of primary forms, the first forms. An archetype, a typical male archetype, is the prototype male, it's the first male. It means a primary original form or principle. And, and so what we are saying is we are Christian, Christians without any arches, but Christ, because the first word is Christian. We are Christians without any arches, without any other forms that we make primary than Christ. We are saying, essentially, Christ is our primary form. He is the first and the last, the alpha and the omega. We are Christian anarchists. We do not believe that anything should come between Christ and us. We shouldn't make a primary form a prophet. We shouldn't make a primary form a written Bible in ink. We shouldn't make a primary form a pastor or rules. We should make Christ, uh, Christ alone, without any other primary forms. That's what it means. And, and so what is so frightening about that? That is what Christians should have and do. No other primary form but Christ. He is first. Jason has misrepresented this greatly because it fits the smear. He needs to smear because he wants to smear because it's going to help in his mind diminish whatever little influence I have in this world. And, you know, I purposely called it Christianarchy, not because I created it. There's a guy named Jacques Hulot whose book, and that's how you say his name, really influenced my thinking. He, the books are great that he writes. There's a guy named Leo Tolstoy, who was a fantastic thinker, and he couldn't stand what the Russian church had done to the people. He was a Christian anarchist.
Okay, so I, I was influenced by some of those writings. And as I read the scripture, I see the same thing going on with Jesus and his apostles and the people around him. He said, pay taxes. I say, pay your taxes. He obeyed the law. We obey the law. But all I'm saying is nothing comes between Jesus and the believer. That's what Christian anarchy means. We also note that Jason ignores to finish the, the acronym. Christian anarchists, and I've just explained that, meeting to prayerfully understand scripture. That's what it means. Now that you understand what Christian anarchy means, or at least I tried to explain it, it's, it's a heavy concept, but you know that we are Christians. We don't believe in anybody in any form but Christ first, and that means his spirit, and that means God the Father, it's Christ, God. Christian anarchists meeting, which we do, to prayerfully, which we do, understand scripture, which is what we study. Now, is that as diabolical as what Jason has just presented here? People outside, they want to think this is, I'm just like some pointy-hatted cult leader, you know, making the Kool-Aid in the back and just waiting to get trapped people. It is so not correct. And anyone's welcome to come here. We have people coming in and out of here all the time. Very few people remain. You know why? Because it's boring. We teach the scripture. We talk through it. They have all the liberty they want. They have free food and free coffee. They don't ever, we don't ever ask for uh, donations and tithes. We don't put, we, we gather and we say, go out and be Christians and we meet again the next Sunday. That's Christian anarchy, meeting to prayerfully understand scripture. So anyone who wants to challenge this, come sit with us unannounced, secretly record us, whatever you want to do, and you'll see it. Jason is attempting to assign social or secular anarchism. He's attempting to assign lawlessness to us. I do not preach lawlessness of the moral code. In fact, that's another reason we don't have our pews full is because I teach what the word says. And if the word says this, I teach it and it's pretty heavy to hear and people get burdened coming. So because of my eschatology, I reject the system in place, uh, uh, in place that was uh, in place during the apostolic age. And, um, and I find it in opposition. We are all about faith and love, like I said. We are all about faith in Christ, faith in God, and love. That's it. Those are the two commands. And they're the two commands that uh, Jesus, that John, the beloved, gives in 1 John chapter 3, verse 22 and 23. He says, and these are the commandments. Believe on Jesus Christ and love as he gave commandment. Those are the two commandments, and that's what we teach. These are the two commandments. We don't teach anything else but faith and love, but we study the Bible together. And if someone says, well, what are the commandments? I say faith and love. All right, what does Paul say in 2 Corinthians three seventeen? Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It's all about freedom. I just mentioned earlier, Jason and those like him, well-meaning, want control. We are about freedom to all people in Christ to do and live and be whatever you want, to think whatever you want, because we do anyway. We'll do our best to help guide you, but you get to believe what you want and we're gonna love you anyway. Where the, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. 
Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. We, dis, we disregard yokes of slavery. Peter said in 1 Peter 2, 16 through 18, live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as God's slaves, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. I believe that completely. And again, Galatians 5, 13, 14, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge in the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Earlier, Jason sort of kind of mocked that I say it's about love, that it's just about love, he said. It is about love. Upon that hangs all the, all the law and the prophets. That's all it is. And then finally, we know that Jesus said, you'll know the truth, who is Jesus himself, and the truth will set you free. Someone shouldn't come to a relationship with God through Christ and learn the truth about him and become put in and become uh, a prisoner. That is, that's opposite of what he came to do. We truly honest to God, with God as my witness, we let people be free and we do everything we can to keep any form of bondage upon them so that they can choose to serve their God or not. It's up to them. We don't need these elders boards. It's gone. The clip from our show ends with me saying that the rules of the Christian body today are faith and love. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave commandment. All right, what's Jason's response to all of this? It sounds good, but like Joseph Smith, Sean's love doesn't seem to extend to pastors. It breaks my heart to step into those churches and see exactly what the pastors are doing, feeding themselves, their own damn egos, their own pocketbooks, their own paid vacations, their own grand vision of what they can do with materialism. All of that is part of what they are calling Christianity today. So in this segment, that we just showed, Jason speaks to my treatment of pastors as being anything but loving, which in my estimation is a legitimate point. Uh, it doesn't, what I say about pastors on the air and, and who are pastors who, who abuse congregants, what I say about them does not fit the biblical uh, description of love as being patient, long-suffering, uh, joyful, and, and all the rest. And in this, he says, Sean is like Joseph Smith, saying that uh, it all sounds good, but like Smith, Sean's love doesn't seem to extend to pastors. And in this comparison to Joseph Smith, Jason is absolutely right. But just because Joseph Smith in the burned over district of religious chicanery could see as a young kid that these guys were phonies, and they were. It doesn't mean that he was right in everything else and that I shouldn't take something that uh, somebody who was right about and use it. I didn't embrace this because Smith sees it. I see the same thing he sees. And so does anybody who steps back and looks at institutional religion for the most part, not in every case, but for the most part. First of all, it's only the pastors who are guilty of the things that I talked about there in that clip that we go after. 
I don't go after people who are uh, uh, feeding the flock the word of God and, and keeping people out of bondage and treating them with love. That's what they're supposed to do. I'm fully behind them. But I do rail against the pastors in this state, especially Utah, because coming out of the Mormon church, we have them leaving one institution of bondage and entering into another one, all with a justification, bad justifications, of putting them in bondage by the pastors that are. We want you to serve us. We want you to have a membership. We want you to sign a worthiness agreement. We want you to, of course, pay tithes. And some want you to dress a certain way. And you can't drink. And you can't do this. And, you know, oh, I heard you, you slept with your boyfriend. We're going to have to get rid of you. All of that stuff. They are putting people who are coming out of one form of bondage that we know really well. And they're putting them right into another one. So... Only the guilty we're talking about. And if the pastors are mad at me, I think they're probably the guilty ones. That's just how I got to see it. Those who feed themselves and do not feed the flock, they're thrown in there with it. Those who do not teach the sheep the word of God. And I mean teach the word of God. There's a price to it. People leave because they don't want to hear the word of God. And so pastors cater to what they want. But those who preach the word of God... They are doing what they're told to do. Those who impose tithes and offerings, those who constantly ask him for support, those who take trips and vacations and, and raise money for that from the congregates, and those who nickel and dime and, and brick and mortar everything. Is it incongruent to preach love but to call pastors out? I don't think so. I think, you know, the old standby using the written word, they're held to a higher uh, uh, scrutiny, right? I'm held to a higher scrutiny. You know, so they should be held to a higher scrutiny too. Paul did it to Peter. Paul did it to Peter in front of everybody. He called Peter to scrutiny. Are we to use the Bible as our text for how to do things in this age? Well, we should use that because I'm just publicly doing it before everybody what people do. Pastors enter the arena of public scrutiny when they claim to represent God and Christ and his gospel to people. They enter the realm of open scrutiny. And I expect that representatives of God and Christ would do all they can to feed the flock and to keep them free. Feed and free. I am not hypocritical. I don't hedge on this at all. So I have not one bit of hypocrisy in my life in saying this. We feed and we keep them free and we love them. Anything else, Jason is saying, I've stepped over the bounds. I'm not showing love. Actually, I am showing love. I'm showing love to the pastor who might hear my words and might change. And I'm showing love to their congregates and hopefully that they will come out from bondage and leave a place that puts them in it. So pastors are to feed the sheep so they can grow in faith and love. Simple as that. Add in my eschatological views, which by the word supports this view I maintain. I think pastors should today be called out for playing church. If they're not feeding and they're not freeing, they should be called out. Because Joseph Smith did it doesn't make the action wrong. 
And th this is one area where Jason makes the comparison. And okay, you're right on that, jo uh, Jason. But I'm not Joseph because of it. He could see the problems too. He just offered up to his own fictional, biblical, non-biblical, excuse me, uh, answers to the whole thing. So no comparison at all there. Let me take, let me just give you an example. I know we're running short on time, but let me just take an example. Let's take one pastor in this world. And because Jason created this video, let's take Jason Wallace as one pastor. And he is, uh, let's suppose that in Jason's case, we say people should trust Jason. He has authority. He has insights into scripture they should listen to. He should reign over people, discipline them, etc. Jason Wallace of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, just one pastor, let's just use him. And what does Jason teach and maintain? Okay? I mean, does he preach that there's a biblical way to guide the flock? He does. And so let's see what Jason teaches from his, his claim following the Bible, the people that are under his control. All right? First of all, and, and before we do that, Let's just make it a better example. Let's take and let's clone Jason and all that he teaches to his flock here in Magna. And let's put him in every church around the world because Jason's way is the best way. So we have a bunch of clone Jasons in every church on every Sunday teaching what Jason teaches just to make it sink into your head. Because he seems to feel that he can come and he can attack me for what I do because his interpretation of the word is sound. So he can do this. So let's just use him as the example. So first of all, Jason teaches pedo-baptism. Do you know what that is? That's the baptism of babies. Now, Jason criticizes me. He put a Bible up at the beginning and he put a picture of me in an acting role and acting like an idiot. And he says, the Bible versus Sean McCree. That's what he titled his thing. Jason teaches pedo-baptism. Do you ever read of infants being baptized in, in the New Testament? I don't ever read it. That's non-biblical. Jason teaches it. I won't go into why, his justifications. And here's the thing, I don't care. And if someone says I go to Jason Wallace's church and many have said that to me, I say, great, whatever, whatever you want to do, you know? What else do the Jason clones and Jason, what would they teach? They teach that baptism is a sacrament and that the second coming is for sure, and Jesus is coming to destroy the world entirely, okay? So he has people looking for those signs and, you know, knowing he's coming back anytime because the world's becoming more and more corrupt. And he teaches that Christ is present in the bread and wine through the Holy Spirit. Christ himself is present in the communion elements. Jason teaches that God, loving God in his sovereignty, he's teaching this all over the world, has chosen to elect these people not for any good they've done. He just wants to elect them. And he's chosen to not elect the rest. And the rest who he has created will spend an eternity in a literal hell of fire. That's the God Jason teaches to everybody in the world on every Sunday in every church as we've cloned him, okay? He says that the Bible that we have in our hands is completely trustworthy and without error. Now, if you do that to a Mormon, 
and they're studious and they open that Bible and they find an error and there are errors in our modern Bibles, folks. King James 2, yes. ESV, yes, there are errors. And they, an ex-Mormon finds out that there's errors in that Bible, guess what they do? I'm done with that now. I am an atheist. So there's a great danger in the zeal that's brought forward with, with points like this. And then this is right off the uh, Orthodox Presbyterian website. They believe in disciplining of members found delinquent in doctrine or life. How are they delinquent and how are they disciplined and who does it without hypocrisy? Do you see the problems? And this is just taking one well-meaning pastor and giving him that idea or letting him believe that he has authority and rights to discipline and teach and interpret and do all those things when God has made it clear that's not the system that he wants in place once that first age ended. Remember Isaiah 61.1, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives and release from darkness the prisoners. That's why Jesus came. And he did not come to put people back in prisons, to take away their liberty and, and to uh, reject the brokenhearted or to, uh, not, or to feed the poor food. He came them to pro pro proclaim the good news to the poor. I got to wrap up because I think I've gone over. Have I gone over, Seth? No? How much? Okay. Who caused, when did Isaiah say this, the Old Testament? What was the state of the Old Testament in that day? I want to read something to you. I want you to, I want you to hear what God says. And we're going to wrap it up with this. The exciting part of me going uh, after Sandra Tanner is going to be next week. Uh, he brings that up too, and I want to address that and actually speak very frankly to it and even apologize for things and then also clarify things. But this is the state of the nation of Israel when Ezekiel wrote. He says, son of man to Ezekiel, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy, he says to Ezekiel, and say unto them, thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and you clothe yourselves with the wool. You kill them that are fed, but you feed not the flock. The diseased you have not strengthened. Neither have you healed that which was sick. Neither have you bound up that which was broken. Neither have you brought again that which was driven away. Neither have you sought that which was lost, but with force and with cruelty, you have ruled them. And they were scattered because there is no shepherd. And they became meat to all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains upon every high hill. Yea, my flock was scattered upon the face of the earth and none did seek after them. That was the state of the nation of Israel when Jesus showed up on the earth because the shepherds didn't feed the word. I challenge any pastor in this state, in, this, in the nation or world, who doesn't weekly feed their flock the word of God, they fit that category and they deserve someone to call them out for it. And the sheep don't know. 
They show up and they hear anecdotal stories from pastors and laughter and ripping telephone books in half in the strength of Jesus. And they think this is good. This is what it is. And they're weak and they wander and they're devoured by the beasts of the field. But listen to what God's reply is and what he says he'll do. He'll do. Ready? Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my flock at their hand and cause them to cease from feeding the flock. Neither shall the shepherds feed themselves anymore for I will deliver my flock from their mouth and they will not be meat for them. And thus saith the Lord God, behold, I even I will search out my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeketh out his flock in the day that he is among the sheep that are scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all the places where they have been scattered, scattered in the dark uh, night. I will bring them out of the people and carry them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land and I will feed them upon the mountains of Israel by the rivers in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in a good pasture and upon the high mountains of Israel shall their fold be and they shall lie in a good fold and in a fat pasture they shall feed upon the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will cause them to lie down, saith the Lord God. I will seek that which is lost and bring them that which is driven away and will bind up that which is broken and strengthen that which is sick. And I will destroy the fat and the strong. I will feed them with judgment. That was what Christ did when he showed up and he ascended and he took off and he reigns over his kingdom now and his church. And Christ continues to be the one to do that. He goes and he finds them. He feeds them. He protects them because God knew men cannot and will not. They'll let their own egos get in the way. They'll let their own ideas and their own thinking get in the way. So God says, I will come and do it. And he sent his son. And it's through that son that we look and we have our faith and we, we let him be our shepherd. And we directly follow him by the spirit. No man in between. That is what God said he would do. And he affirms it there through Ezekiel. This is all a direct appeal between the individual and God in their life. It's right there in scripture if you're willing to see it. At this point, we're going to end with this clip and come back and I'm not going to comment on it. This is what Jason says next. When Sean challenges Mormonism, he says that it's out of love for the truth and for those who are called in error. But when others challenge his teachings, he imagines very different motives. Yeah, I'm sure if they could kill you now, you would see me burning at the stake with the spirit that's in the people to defend man-made traditions. Oh, of course, online, the pastors get to say, McCraney teaches there's no hell. McCraney doesn't believe in the Trinity. McCraney teaches there's no second coming. Why? Because it's convenient, the little cowards that they are. Sean can denounce pastors in general and even specific denominations. But if someone responds, he says that they are unfairly attacking his person. You'll note that I, I don't attack people, but I will attack theology. Calvinism, Orthodox Presbyterianism, Lutheranism, and the Trinitarianism, those I'll go after all day long. 
But I don't say Jason Wallace as a Presbyterian is a rat bastard. I simply say, I don't believe in Orthodox Presbyterianism. This then launches them into the tirade against me and my person. There is a difference. They may say there's not, but there is. That was at a place, uh, I think that was at what we called the Inquisition, where we had somebody actually point at me and tell me I'm a heretic and I'm going to hell. That's personal. <laughs> I have never said any pastor is going to hell. I have never said someone isn't saved. I've never wondered about their salvation. James White, Jason, any of these guys, I wonder if they're even saved. Never. I just go after their practices. They go after me, and next week we're going to open up and we're going to show that and we're going to prove it, how they have gone after me. Jason's army, so to speak, says he considers himself such a victim. He plays the victim role. And I'll just compare for you what has happened between Jason and what has happened uh, to me and, the, and how they differ in the attack. I am hoping that at the end of this, we can put it all away. I've hoped that for many years. I'm addressing this so we can clear things up. I don't want there to be any more warfare. Again, I don't care if someone wants to be a Calvinist, be it. But they can't stop me from criticizing Calvinism. I will make a vow to not criticize other pastors by name, uh, and I'll try my best to not do it by name. Uh, but uh, there's a difference between what they say about me and my family and campus and what they have done for the past 10 years or uh, six years, actually 10 years, and, and what we have said. And Jason says it's one and the same, and I would suggest to you it's not, and we'll prove that next week here on the show. Now, write your comments below. This was a lot of information, and give us your thoughts, and give us some things that are meaningful. You, you know, I don't need someone to say, Sean, we're behind you, uh, or I don't need someone to say, Jason, you're the best. I want you to say, you know, what is it about this? How come you say that? Or why, Jason, I think, is right on this. W explain yourself. Give it some energy and thought so we can talk about these things to make improvements. Tomorrow night here on Heart of the Matter.